I appreciate the, the worship we've engaged in thus far. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited to turn to the Word of God you know, and delve within what, what Scripture entitles the unsearchable riches you know, of God's grace and wisdom. Uh, scripture is so rich, it's so deep, it's so complex. We could study it for a lifetime, and yet we've never really exhausted all that it has to say. Uh, but as large as it is, we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 12 this morning to try to begin a subject. Uh, and as you're turning there, I, I want us to ask the question this morning to ourselves of whose opinion matters? Whose opinion matters? And this morning, I, I cracked open my computer to, to utilize a study, a study resource that was on my laptop. And last night, I'd been scrolling through a, a business journal, the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, I was kind of looking through, and I opened my computer, and so it was right there. And so I started scrolling down through the news, and, you know, stuff about the markets last week, the bank crash, you know, pretty, pretty typical news that we've all heard about these last several weeks. But then right up in the top right-hand corner, there's a little tab that reads opinion. Reads opinion. And if you open that tab, if you open that tab in that business periodical, what you're going to find out is you can access about 15 different opinions on the same exact topic. You can access 15 or 20 different opinions on the same topic, varying from the, the craziest conspiracy theory out there, you know, to some well-developed, well-informed, well-written theory. You know, or for example, maybe you're scrolling through their channels on the TV and, and Fox News says this about a particular event. MSNBC says this, CNN says this, well, who do we believe? Whose opinion matters? How are we to determine when we're confronted with such a massive level of knowledge and such a wide range of opinions, whose words actually ought to affect our lives? And I assure you that's a really relevant question because I can find just about any opinion that I would like on any conceivable subject imaginable. So we're opening in, in 1 Kings chapter 12 on a very important moment in the history of Israel. Uh, it's a transition of leadership that we're reading about here. Actually, it's a transition from Solomon. It's one of Solomon's sons, Rehoboam. And here in 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam is forced to make a choice. He has access to a variety of different opinions, and he has to choose which one is going to impact the leadership style that he's going to adopt as the king of Israel. He's going to have to choose which opinion impacts the leadership style he chooses as the new king of Israel. So let's read in verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam the son of Nebat who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. So remember who Jeroboam was. Jeroboam led the portion of the nation of Israel 
that had essentially at this point had already divided from the leadership of Solomon. So there's this dissension that's going on in one part of, of Israel. The ten tribes of Israel, they're examining the leadership of the house of David, and they decided that, oh, we're going to split away from this main group, and we're going to go essentially establish our own nation and our own method of worship in another part of the land. And so Jeroboam, he's, he's really sort of leading. Again, it's not official yet, but the dissension is still there. Now, unfortunately, Rehoboam, because of his unwise decisions, you know, he's going to finalize this divide. He's going to make, make this split in the nation of Israel official. But Jeroboam, he comes to him and he says, Rehoboam, Solomon made our yokes very, very heavy. Now, I'll remind you that Solomon made the Israel, Israel more prosperous than it had ever been or ever would be. Okay, so if anything, Solomon not only is the wisest man alive, but he's also really the best king that Israel has been led by, at least up to this point, if not throughout the rest of Israel's history. But Jeroboam, he still looks at Solomon and he says, Rehoboam, there were a lot of things about Solomon's leadership that we were really dissatisfied by. So we want you to make our service a bit easier or to use the biblical terminology, we want our yokes to be lighter. We want to do a little bit less work. You know, perhaps this was Jeroboam says, well, hey, we don't want to pay the high taxes that Solomon charged to us in order to be able to enrich the land of Israel like he did. So Jeroboam, he's making a fairly reasonable claim here, and Rehoboam has an incredible, incredible opportunity. He has the ability in this decision to completely reunite the nation of Israel. Now again, the split's not official yet. But still, the, the, the nation of Israel is divided. They're torn apart by just the leadership of Solomon and also really the judgment of God, by the way. So Rehoboam, what, what does he decide to do? Well, this is probably really the only good decision that he makes in this passage. And he said unto them in verse 5, that is Jeroboam and the tribes of Israel, depart yet for three days... Then come again to me. And the people departed. So what does Rehoboam say? Well, he's faced with a difficult decision. And he tells Israel and he tells Jeroboam, well, go away for three days. Let me think about what you're asking and then come back. Again, probably the only wise thing that Rehoboam really does in this passage. And Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived and said, how do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. So the old men who had been you know, policy advisors for Solomon, if you want to think about it that way, a lot like the president's cabinet in the United States. Solomon, he goes to them and he says, Well, what am I to do? might actually make the yoke of the tribes of Israel lighter. And so here's what the old men say. Yes, serve them and they will be your people forever. Serve them and they will be your people forever. But Rehoboam's apparently not that satisfied with the answer that the old men provide him because we're told in verse 8 that he forsook the counsel of the old men 
which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which my father did put upon us lighter? And what did the young men say? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thou shalt say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. What a contrast. What a contrast. The old men say, we'll be a servant to the people and they'll, they'll, they will be your people forever. The young men say, I want you to make their load unimaginably heavy. They use some very, very direct language here. Say, I want your pinky finger to be bigger than your father's thigh. That is, I want you to be that much of a harsher leader upon your nation. And if Solomon chastised his people with whips, I want you to take scorpions and whip the people of Israel and also the people of, of Judah. So we don't, really have, we don't really have a way to judge these two pieces of advice yet. But we do know that Rehoboam chooses to discard the advice of the old men and he chooses to practice the uh, policy advising, if you will, the, the leadership council, the council of the young men. So what happens? So, what, three days go by, right? Jeroboam and the tribes of Israel, they're supposed to come back. And in verse 12, Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And what are the consequences of this? Well, we read in verse 16, When all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? That is to say, how are we going to let someone of the house of David rule over us if they are going to be so harsh? Or to phrase it a different way, what allegiance do we owe to the house of David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Remember, the ten tribes of Israel would have been a different tribe than, of course, the descendants of the house of Judah. Their lineages are distinct from each other. And so they said, there's no, there's no natural reason that you would rule over us if you're going to be so harsh. So what happens? Well, the split's finalized. And really, when we read the words of Jesus, when he tells us that a house divided against itself cannot stand, that proves true in the case of Israel. This was a crucial decision, which when made poorly by Rehoboam, orchestrated the downfall of the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because Rehoboam listened to poor counsel. Because Rehoboam listened to poor counsel. And there are a couple things, there are a couple things wrong that we, we see in this passage. Now again, we ask the question of whose opinion matters. So in order to decide that, we have to be able to discern between good counsel 
and bad counsel. Scripture equips us very, very well to distinguish between bad counsel and good counsel. Now again, it's, it's, not, it's a lot easier said than done, of course. There's a lot of spiritual discernment involved. There's a lot of prayer involved. Faith plays an instrumental role when we're distinguishing between good and bad counsel. But Rehoboam, he's called in this situation here. He has two groups of people which are telling him two completely different things. We are going to find ourselves in this situation many, many times throughout the course of our lives. I would say most of our lives is lived in this tension that we find between the instructions of the world, the instructions of the secular world, and the instructions of Scripture. Okay, on the one hand, we're told to live in a specific way. And then on the other hand, we're told to live in a completely different way. And we're asked to decide and discern and choose between the two. Now, the first thing that Rehoboam really did incorrectly in this passage is he chose a method of ruling which was the complete opposite of Solomon's. Okay, we see that, right? We see that although Solomon may have been a harsh ruler in some respects, when we read about the rule of Solomon, again, he led the nation of Israel into one of the most prosperous and successful periods of history that it ever experienced. When we're told that the wealth, the riches of the world, the gold and silver of the world were like stones in the land of Israel, it was that wealthy. The people were wealthy. The people were happy. They were fed. They weren't starving. The land was peaceful. Okay, and yes, Solomon, he made some very, very grievous errors. But he did not err so severely that it should have prompted Rehoboam to completely discard everything that his father did. Now, you know, we're told in the book of Proverbs, specifically in the, the 29th chapter, that, you know, the rod and reproof bringeth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. What that means is when a child is neglected, okay, they bring their mother, their parents, to shame. Well, how exactly do they do that? Well, often they choose a lifestyle that is a complete opposition to the lifestyle of their parents. When a child is neglected, when they aren't raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they often choose a lifestyle that is a complete opposition to the lifestyle of their parents. And here's part of what Rehoboam's doing here. It's very, very easy to say And we could do so if we had the time on the authority of the Word of God that many, many of both David's and Solomon's children were neglected. And so Rehoboam comes to this point at which he must assume rule as the king of Israel. And what does he do? Well, apparently his children, Solomon's children, had been neglected. And so Rehoboam, he looks at the lifestyle, the rule of his father, and he chooses something that's in complete opposition to it. I want us to think about this in perhaps a more relevant way. Many, many of the most outspoken members of political parties in the United States come from homes where they were taught the opposite. That is to say, if someone's an outspoken conservative, they've grown up in a liberal home. If someone's an outspoken liberal, often they're brought up in a conservative home. Again, using two very broad terms there, forgive me. And that's because often when those children are taught 
to adhere to, this, to an ideology, to political beliefs that they don't understand. They're not taught those things. They're forced to be a certain way. When they have the ability to choose, they simply choose the complete opposite of what they were taught by their parents. Because we're also taught in Scripture about a parent who... We're taught about parents who neglect their children. And we're also taught about parents who provoke them to wrath, which too much discipline. Both of those two extremes often yield the same results. I assure you, if Rehoboam, he had been disciplined so harshly by his parents that he had been provoked to wrath, Scripture teaches that he also might have chosen to do the complete opposite of his father. To rule in a opposed way to the rule of his father. And so that's what he does in this passage. Well, Solomon seems to have, have ruled lightly with perhaps, you know, some errors. He still was a good king. Scripture even tells us that, that he was, he's pronounced a good king. Rehoboam looks at the rule of his father and he chooses the complete opposite. You know, often when we see that pattern displayed in the lives of, of families, it's just out of resentment. It's out of an irritation, you know, towards, towards parties involved. You know, and so Rehoboam does that exact thing. You know, the second error that he makes is he seems to discard the counsel of people more experienced than himself. He seems to discard the, the counsel of people more experienced than himself. He goes to these old policy advisors, right? These old seasoned men that have been with Solomon, perhaps older than Solomon was, perhaps even saw Solomon born, were certainly with him throughout the majority of his kingship. And he asked the old seasoned men, what do you think that I should do? And we read the passage together. The old men tell him, rule more lightly than your father did. Perhaps in the, in the language which is used to describe the relationship between a parent and child, provoke not your people to wrath. Don't rule them so harshly that they grow angry because of the discipline that you're enforcing upon them because they're going to revolt. They're going to revolt. But you know, Rehoboam doesn't seem to care that much about the advice that these old men are giving him. He doesn't seem to care that much. Well, who does he go to next? Well, he goes to the crowd that he runs with. And we're told that not, these were not only young men his age. These were not only young men his age. These were young men that had grown up with him. So they had been brought up in much the same environment. They had been brought up under the same influences. They had been guided and counseled by perhaps many of the same people. And so, of course, they tell Rehoboam exactly what he wants to hear. Tell him exactly what he wants to hear. Because why wouldn't they? They've grown up with the guy. They've been counseled by the same people. And so they tell him, of course, make the yoke and the burden of your people heavier than your father did. Make the yoke of your people heavier than your father did. Of course, we see the consequences of that. Because Rehoboam, he doesn't have the ability... Nor does he seem to try, by the way, to distinguish between good counsel and bad counsel. From what we understand, the good counsel in this scenario was the counsel of the old men, was the counsel of the ones that had more experience, that had more wisdom, that had seen more things. The bad counsel that was received was the counsel of the young men who had grown up with him. 
Now that's not a black and white scenario. I'm not saying whenever we need counsel and we go to those around us, that the counsel of the young people will always be false and the counsel of the old will always be right. I'm not saying that in any sense. Now I will say, again, this is my own personal opinion, take it or leave it, old people are a lot more likely to be right about things. <laughs> and when I say old, I just mean anyone that's, that's in a different and further advanced stage of life than you currently are. Simply because they've seen more, also they've heard a lot more counsel. The Lord has revealed a lot more things to them in the course of their life. And often they have simply had the opportunity to commune more closely with the Spirit of God than those younger than themselves. I'm willing to throw myself under the bus by saying that. And there's often young people that give great counsel in the Word of God. We, when we read of Samuel in the Old Testament, we read of a young man that was finely attuned to the voice of the Spirit of God. That is an example of a young man that had the discretion, discernment, and wisdom to fulfill the purpose of God and also to listen very, very carefully for good counsel and the instructions of God that he was to receive. Okay, but Rehoboam, he chooses to listen to a group of people that weren't simply that wise. You know, we're told, first of all, I would say, as we're seeking good counsel, we have to remember that ultimately, yes, the Lord is the primary counsel that we're to seek guidance from. One of the Lord's names in Isaiah chapter 6 is the counselor. One of his name, the way, one of the words used to describe Christ's personhood is counselor. So whenever we need counseling, the ultimate source of wisdom and discretion available to us is the Lord. Amen. It is His Spirit. It is the Word of God. Amen. The only ultimate opinion that we are to seek, the opinion that we are to strive to discover, is the opinion of Christ. Okay? There's ultimately only one well done that matters throughout the course of our life. And it is the well done and the approbation of God's Holy Spirit that we feel throughout our lives. Let's read from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We directly experience the approbation of God's Holy Spirit when we pursue good counsel. Often we don't feel it as directly as we might. But we are assured in the New Testament that one of the primary guiding forces that influences our lives is the Holy Spirit. Right. And here's one example of that. We read, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Two things there. Number one, if you are in Jesus Christ, there is no eternal condemnation that will be laid to your account at all. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way before we move on. If you are in Jesus Christ and were placed in Jesus Christ before the world was spoken into existence by God, there is no eternal condemnation that you will experience in eternity. When you appear before the Lord and His throne of judgment one day, it will be as if you had never sinned. When we're told that we will appear before Him holy and blameless, that's not only as if our sins had been washed away, but also as if we had never sinned. Because remember, Christ bore that condemnation for us on the cross. 
That's a principle we all ought to understand. It infuses our life with a sense of hope. It infuses our life with a sense of joy. When we remember that on the other side of death, we don't have to fear eternal condemnation because of the ignorant things that we do in this life. But even now, even now, when we're in Christ Jesus, when the Lord has brought us out of darkness and into the light of His marvelous kingdom, by the power of His Holy Spirit, we are born again. We are in Christ Jesus and we walk after the Spirit. We're not experiencing condemnation. We're not experiencing the discomfort that the child of God experiences when they, after having been translated out of just absolute darkness and misery and helplessness in the kingdom of God's dear Son, pursue the things of the flesh. The Spirit condemns us when we do those things. Our conscience convicts us when we do those things. That's one way that we pursue guidance. We get direct guidance at the hand of the Spirit of God. Also say that we make an effort to discern counsel which is aligned with the counsel of God's Holy Spirit. That's a second way, perhaps. We're also told not to seek the counselor of one, counsel of one singular person. Does that mean you go spill your life story and all of your life's troubles to anyone that's willing to listen? No. That means when you have access to multiple good counselors, go to them and ask them for counsel. When we delve deeply within verses which approve the use of multiple counselors, we also discover that that verse is referring to how we don't ask people that are all the same. How is that applicable in the case of Rehoboam? Well, when he goes to the young men and he asks them for counsel, those are young men that are in the exact identical situation that he is. They've grown up with him. They've been counseled by the same people. They've grown up in the same household. And as a consequence, they tell Rehoboam exactly what they want to hear. You know, we're told in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So as we draw our thoughts to a close this morning, what have, we, what have we reflected upon? What have we learned from the account of Rehoboam? Well, he's placed in a, a crucial point of decision, is he not? He has the chance to rectify, I would say, many of the major errors of his father. The errors which had grievously irritated Jeroboam and the tribes of Israel that led them to divide from the nations of Judah, Rehoboam has the chance to rectify those issues. Do you see that? That's a really big opportunity. And yet he chooses counsel which ends in the wrong result. He doesn't fix the problems of his father. He doesn't even help them a bit. Rather, he makes them worse. Remember, we are exposed to such a wide variety of opinions and influences in our lives. I don't care if it's the opinion tab on the Wall Street Journal. I don't care if it's Fox News and CNN. I don't care if it's the feedback that we receive from all of our friends. We are ultimately seeking the counsel of Christ. Amen. And my prayer for all of us is that we would use the appropriate means to determine what that is. Don't go to those that are in the same state of life as we ourselves are. Go to those who have experienced close communion with Christ, who have seen more of life. Ask them what their counsel is. 
and use that to determine what the counsel of Christ may be. And I assure you, we are told in the authority of the Word of God, when we pursue the counsel of Christ, we feel the approbation, the approval of God's Holy Spirit in our hearts.